Well, good morning and welcome to Redwood Christian Church. We're so honored that you're joining us, whether you're joining us from the Rogue Valley or uh, anywhere across the United States or even the world today, we are so honored that you have chosen to worship Jesus with us this morning. Uh, my name's Kurt, and it's my honor to get to be here uh, sharing with you today. Before we jump in, though, I've got a question for you. How many of you enjoy a mystery? Now, maybe it's a mystery novel. Maybe it's a mystery movie or a TV show. You kind of like those uh, types of, of shows or entertainment or whatever it may be that lays out little clues for you here and there, and then kind of at the end, you get the big reveal. Is that you? Do you enjoy the mystery? One of my favorite TV shows to watch that's on right now is a show called The Blacklist. And my, my wife and I watch this show on Friday nights. Uh, it's on NBC, and it, it features James Spader playing this man named Raymond Reddington. Now, just a little context on the show here. Raymond Reddington was at one point a high-ranking U.S. Naval Intelligence officer who went rogue and sold state secrets and became a traitor and, and eventually became this international fugitive and criminal uh, that, that built this massive criminal empire all around the world. And in the very first episode of The Blacklist, he walks into the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and he turns himself in. He's number four on the FBI's most wanted list, and he walks in and he turns himself in, and he offers them a deal. You grant me immunity, and I will, I will give you the names of criminal after criminal that you've never even heard of. But he makes one condition. He wants to work with an, a rookie profiler for the FBI named Elizabeth Keene. Now, this day that he turns himself in is actually her very first day working for the FBI. And it seems like that's just a, an interesting little detail, but... As the show goes on, episode by episode, season after season, you start to learn a little bit more about the background of who exactly is Raymond Reddington and who exactly is Elizabeth Keene and why are they connected. There's mystery, there's intrigue behind both of these characters, and now they're through seven seasons and still you really don't know what's coming in the next episode. I like mysteries. I like to try to figure things out as I go, and, and I'm one of those I'm probably not very fun to watch that type of show with because I try to guess what's going to happen, you know, and I, and I make predictions early on. I told you so. I told you he was going to be the guy that, that turned. But that's the question. Do you enjoy a good mystery? And we're in Ephesians chapter 3 today. I said a moment ago we've been in this series called One in Christ where we've been looking through the book of Ephesians. And, and if you're just doing kind of a, a read-through of Ephesians, maybe you're just doing a daily read or you're trying to read through the New Testament or read through the Bible or just read through a specific book at a time, this particular passage today that we're going to look at is probably not one that's going to stick out to you. It, it's not quite as memorable as what we read in chapter 2 or what we're going to read in chapter 4. Now, if you haven't been joining us for this series, and we've been going through this kind of section by section, and two weeks ago, we started looking at chapter 2. Pastor Matt looked at chapter 2, and we looked at this amazing passage that Paul writes about our salvation by grace through faith. It's not by works. It's not by anything that we have done so that we can boast. No, we are saved by the grace of God through our faith that we have in Him. Last week, Jennifer looked at the second part of chapter 2, where we uh, look at how we are united in Christ by, because we're reconciled to Him. When, when Jesus went to the cross, we we're reconciled to God, and therefore we're now reconciled with each other. And on the heels of those, we get this passage. 
And even when we jump ahead into chapter 4, what we're going to talk about here in a few weeks, we read about this incredible passage where Paul talks about the body of Christ and how we are all individual parts of that body, and we come together in unity to fulfill his mission. But here in chapter 3, he takes a little bit of a different approach that can maybe be a little bit confusing. It can maybe be one that isn't always the most clear and easy to understand. But on the heels of what he just talked about, salvation and reconciliation, here's what he writes. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given uh, given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. That's pretty easy to figure out, right? (laughs) Mystery of of Christ over and over, uh, things like unsearchable riches and manifold wisdom and, and revelation and Yeah, that's pretty simple to figure out, right? He talks about the mystery of God. And specifically, he mentions that four times throughout this verse. So so what's the mystery of God? What what is this all about? Well, there's some ideas out there. Maybe this mystery is Jesus himself. Maybe Jesus is the mystery. Maybe God hasn't really revealed who Jesus is yet. That's what some uh, scholars or some people might think. But I don't know that I agree with that. Because the Gospels give us a pretty clear picture of who Jesus was and who Jesus is and who Jesus will be. We see that too when we get to the book of Revelation. So what is the mystery of God? Well, I think for us it might seem relatively simple. I think it's this. Jesus died on the cross to bring salvation to everyone. Now, while that may seem simple to us, and you may go, well, yeah, I I know that. We have to remember when we're studying Scripture, we can't always read it with 21st century eyes. It's easy here in 2020 uh, to, to, to read that and go, yeah, of course he died for everybody. Sometimes we have to put on uh, you know, the, the shoes of the people who read this for the very first time. We have to go back to Ephesus in the first century and think like an Ephesian Christian might have read this. Because you have to remember Paul's writing to a Roman audience. And in particular, a lot of the Christians in this this culture were former Jews who had converted. And so to them, there was almost this mindset that somebody had to become Jewish first and follow the customs and the laws and the traditions of the Jews, then they could become a Christian. Uh, Now, maybe we we do something similar to this, right? Maybe as the church, we, we say, well, if you become a church member first and you start acting like a church member, then, you know, you can you can become a Christian. 
It's like we want people to kind of fit into a mold a little bit here. But Paul's reminding them something very clear. And it's this, Jesus is for everyone. Now again, go back and look at this passage. Because he starts this passage off with four, uh, sorry, with three words that are very easy to pass right by. He says, for this reason. Sometimes we see uh, biblical writers use the word therefore, or for this reason, or, or something similar to that. When you see those words, you always have to go back and reread what you just read. Then you can go on and look forward. Because he's tying it together. Paul likes to build. One idea directly leads to another. Again, we talked about this a moment ago. What has Paul just told us about? Salvation comes by grace through faith alone, not by work so that no one can boast. And that Jesus died on the cross so that we would be reconciled to one another. We would be put back together and made whole with those we have hurt and those who have hurt us. So for this reason, Paul says, for those two reasons right there, Salvation and reconciliation, salvation is for everyone. We have to kind of put that all together here a little bit. Salvation has to be for everyone. We don't get to to decide, we don't get to pick and choose who Jesus died for. The Jews wanted to do this. And let's be honest, church, sometimes, sometimes we do this too. Sometimes we want to be the ones to decide who gets to belong to the body of Christ But never forget this truth. Jesus said it himself, the most famous quote of all time. John 3, 16, what does he tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that what? Whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We think about this a little bit. And I know that we don't have to have uh, an incredibly detailed history book to know that even in our country, Even in our cultures, we've been very selective about this, about who we let into our churches, whether that's racial, whether that's societal, whether that's based on gender. We've been very selective in the past. We want people who look like us and sound like us and think like us and do church like us. Let's be honest, sometimes we want people who vote like us and dress like us as well. We want people who live in the same neighborhoods as us. We want to feel comfortable with people that are like us. We've got to be very careful, folks. Because if you start adapting that mindset, if you start getting this idea that church is only for people who are just like you, you don't belong to a church, you belong to a club. And maybe you sing songs about Jesus, and maybe you hear stories about Jesus. Maybe you worship Jesus while you're there, but you've got to be very careful that you're not falling into that trap. Because there's a truth out there that we cannot escape that you need to understand that unless the gospel is for everyone, the gospel is not for anyone. The gospel is for everyone, folks. We do not get to pick and choose who is able or, or, or eligible to receive God's changing grace in their lives. No, we are commissioned to take the good news to those people who are different than us. The Great Commission tells us to go to all the world and make disciples not just to the world we're comfortable in. And folks, here's the thing I want you to understand, because we we hear this word mission, and we hear this word command. And I think sometimes we we read those and go, oh man, I have to do this. You know, kind of like a duty that you have to do. No, the idea, and Paul's trying to stress this here, the idea that the gospel is for everyone, and that we are commanded and commissioned to take it to everyone, that shouldn't burden us, that should excite us. 
that should motivate us. That should take us to this, this idea that we have to go share the good news with everyone. Think about this for just a second here. When's the last time you experienced something that you, you loved it so much, you just had to tell everybody about it? Now, I'm guilty of this. I'm very guilty of this. When, when I decide that I like something, you're probably going to find out about it. Now, often this is, you know, TV shows or movies or maybe a restaurant or a vacation spot or, or something to that, you know, that nature, right? Uh, for example, there's two TV shows in particular that... Uh, I've really come to enjoy over the past several years. And before I say these, you don't get to judge me whether these are pastorally appropriate or not. So just, you know, you, you can just go along with what you enjoy. But I've really come to enjoy the shows Parks and Recreation and Breaking Bad. Now, those two shows really couldn't be more different because Parks and Recreation is a, a comedy. It, it, it's, it's a witty, funny comedy. Breaking Bad is about a high school chemistry teacher who becomes a uh, drug kingpin, you know. But in both cases, these shows, I just got so engrossed in them. I got so captivated by them. And I'm constantly telling my brother, man, you would love this show. You've got to watch this show. Like, I, I promise you, man, you, you're going to love it. Especially like Parks and Rec, it's so quotable. You know, we love to quote stuff back and forth. You'll love the characters. You'll love how, how this guy plays such and such. And we do this, right? Maybe you go eat at a restaurant, like, man, they've got the best burgers you have ever had. You have to go try this restaurant. And it's like we're doing free advertisement for everyone, right? How many of you right now watching this would love to tell somebody that you know who doesn't live around GP or in the Rogue Valley or really up and down the West Coast, man, you are missing out because you don't get Dutch Bros. Yeah, man, you, sorry, you, you don't get to enjoy that double rainbow black tea. Man, that stuff is so good. You're missing out. How many of us do this? Okay, now let's be honest. <laughs> How many of us that we go share something that to us is, is just amazing? How many times is that amazing thing really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things? Because if we're being honest, it's probably not. If we're being honest, it's probably just something that we enjoy. How many times have we gotten that excited about the gospel. So excited about the gospel that we have to go tell people. A few years ago, I went on a, a trip to New York City with some uh, other students at my Bible college. We went there for a class on culture, but it was so funny. I've got a friend named Zeb. If you, if you don't know Zeb, Zeb's the kind of person who will talk to anybody, and he is going to tell them about Jesus. The only question is, is he going to do it in the first minute or the second minute? You're probably not going to get to the third minute of a conversation with Zeb and not hear about Jesus. And he was so excited to go to New York City because he wanted to tell everybody there, we're like, dude, we're not actually going on a missions trip. We're going to learn. Like, we're not going to, to, to go do work or to go spread the gospel. We're going to learn about culture there. Oh, I'm going to tell everybody I can see. I'm not kidding you. We were on the plane leaving Fayetteville, Arkansas. We hadn't even shut the door to the plane yet. And he's having a conversation about Jesus with the people sitting next to him. He just can't help himself. That's Paul right here. Paul is so excited about this news uh, of the gift of salvation from Jesus that, that he's just telling everybody. And he doesn't care about the ethnic or cultural boundaries that are out there. He knows that, that Jesus' grace is not limited by, by societal or economic brackets or by political parties or by gender or by how well we can get along with one another. And Paul is so excited about this. 
He's so eager to get out there that he's willing to do whatever it takes to spread this news, even get himself thrown in prison for it. Paul's suffering for this. Look at the first and last verses of this passage. Right off the bat, in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And down in verse 13, he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. He makes it clear, and he's not saying this like, hey, I'm, I'm suffering, please feel sorry for me. Or, hey, I'm in prison, come break me out. That's not what he's saying. Paul knows what's going to happen to him here in a few years. He's not quite at the end of his life yet, but it's not too far down the road. Paul knows that he's going to get these trials, but in the end, he's going to give his life for the gospel. And Paul knows this because once upon a time, Paul took lives for the gospel. Paul was killing people for the gospel. And now he's, uh, he's out there risking his life. See, I think Paul's saying this, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to get the message of Jesus out to the world. See, here's the thing, folks. We, we all suffer for Jesus at times and in some way. Now, I'm going to be very transparent and clear about this because we here in America, let's be honest, the vast majority of us have no idea what it truly means to suffer for Jesus. I think most of us, if we talk about suffering for Jesus, it's this idea that maybe we're not as cool around other people as we used to be. We're not really being persecuted. Now, maybe some of us have dealt with persecution. I know some people have been like excommunicated from their families or asked not to come around. Some people have lost out on specific opportunities. That's not maybe the suffering that a lot of us would think about. But if we look down the road, maybe, just maybe, we're going to find suffering in the future. Maybe it's not that far away. So let me ask you a question here. When we get there, are you willing to face that suffering joyfully and to stare it down to continue taking the gospel to the world? Now here's how this all applies to us. I want you to ask yourself a few questions here, and we'll answer these together. The first question, maybe it's simple. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Now, the simple answer here is he died on the cross to redeem our lives. We talked about that the past couple of weeks. Uh, we, we sinned, right? We, we broke this, this covenant with God, and Jesus died on the cross to redeem and restore our relationship with God. So here's a follow-up question. If Jesus died on the cross to redeem and restore our lives, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, we're supposed to surrender our lives to Him, believe in Him, accept Him as Lord and Savior in our lives, and then more than that, we're supposed to help others do the same. See, Jesus gave us this command when He told us to go make disciples. Now, we make disciples. How how do we do that? We make disciples by going to all the nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we don't just stop there. No, Jesus goes on. He tells us to teach each of these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. In other words, we're supposed to not only teach people to believe in Jesus and to accept him as Lord and Savior, but how to become more like him. In other words, the mystery of Jesus is the message of salvation for all people. God created us to live in union with him. And and, and we, we messed that up. But Jesus fixed it. Jesus went to the cross for that. And this mystery that the Jews of Jesus' day needed to hear, and folks, maybe the church people of our day need to hear, is that Jesus' work on the cross is for everyone. 
Now, to help, help get this mystery out, Jesus gave us a wonderful gift. He gave us the church. He commissioned and he commanded the church to follow in his footsteps and to bring the good news of the wisdom of God to the world. And Paul uses two statements here that should grip us and, and, and get our attention and show us what to do with this. In verses 8 and 10, he says that by the grace of God, he was called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me ask you a couple questions here. How many of you want the people in your world to know about Jesus? Jesus has done such a great work in your life that you want your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, you just want them to know what you know. How many of you would say, yeah, that, that's, that's me? Let me ask you another question. How many of you are praying for those people every day? Oh, let's take it a different direction here. I know a lot of us like to be critical of our leadership in our nation or our state or our county or, or even the church. How many of you are praying for those leaders? Not just praying that maybe they would you know, do things the way you want them to do. No, you're praying for their souls. You're praying for them... To, to, to be guided by the Holy Spirit, to follow the will of God, not to follow their own agenda, not to follow your agenda, but to follow God and to follow His Spirit, to follow His will, so that the Spirit would dictate and lead every thought that enters their head and every breath that comes out of their mouth. Folks, do you pray for unity in the church? Not that we never have a disagreement, that's not what unity means, but do you pray that we would place the unity in our mission above all else in the church. See, folks, it's easy. I think it's very easy to, to focus on what separates us. It's very easy to focus uh, as a church or a community or a nation on the things that we disagree about. All you have to do is watch Fox News or CNN, and you're going to see what the other side is saying that's wrong. That, that's what we do, right? How many of us rather than focus on, on, on what we disagree on, how many of you focus on our mission that we are to grow the kingdom of God. And that we grow the kingdom of God by getting out this amazing message about who Jesus is. This amazing message of the wisdom of God. See, the wisdom of God is so powerful that it overcomes all these man-made obstacles that we bicker and argue about. These dividing walls, folks, here's some good news. They will not exist in the kingdom. So why do we bring them up here in the church? Why, why do we put them as obstacles to somebody coming to faith or to somebody even learning about the message of Jesus? See, sometimes we place our own comforts over the command and mission that Jesus gave us. Don't ever forget this. The night after he resurrected from the dead, Jesus came to his disciples and on that night, he tells them this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In other words, just as I came to this earth, from, from God, you're going to go out to this earth from me. And when you read through the Gospels, three times Jesus say, uh, tells us why he was sent. Uh, John uh, chapter 10, he says, I came to bring life and to bring it to the full. Mark chapter 10, he came to serve others, not to be served. Luke chapter 19, he came to seek and save the lost. Folks, as a church, we are not commanded to sit idly by. We are not commanded to just sit back and, and sing our song and, and go about our week. No, we are commanded to be active. Uh, the, the Bible college I went to, 
has a statue of a farmer with his hand uh, reaching down uh, into this bag of seed and then throwing it out onto the field. It's called the sower. And he's sowing the seeds of the gospel to the world. Uh, see, see the, the Bible college I went to kind of uh, goes on that, that image that Jesus gave us about the, the harvest and the laborers. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. In other words, the harvest fields are out there. Folks, right now our world is seeking answers. It has questions that maybe it doesn't know how to ask, and it needs answers. And right now our world is open and receptive to the gospel. But if we're not willing to take it out there to them, then folks, let's be very frank, we don't have the right to complain when they don't act like Jesus. Because we're not acting like Jesus either. It's our duty, it's our command, it's our mission. We have a direct order from our Lord and Savior to take this message to the world. He did not die on the cross so we could put it in a book and close it and leave it on our shelf. No, He died on the cross so that we would take the message out there. Now, not everybody who hears the message is going to receive it. You need to understand that. It's okay to know that because even when Jesus walked the earth, people turned away from Him. People have turned away from the message of Jesus for centuries. But that shouldn't stop us from going out and telling people about Him. Living the life that Jesus called us to live. And yes, we may suffer for it like Paul did. Yes, we may face persecution for it like Paul did. But that should not stop us. Both Paul and and then James, the brother of Jesus, told us very clearly that we will suffer for the gospel. But they told us we should rejoice in those sufferings. Because sufferings uh, lead to perseverance. And perseverance leads to character and character leads to hope. And that ultimately, ultimately leads to peace. Our sufferings should not slow us down. They should motivate us to get the message out there even more. And folks, I honestly believe this. You should be willing to risk a lot, maybe even your life, to get the message out there that is so good. The message is so good. It's so life-changing that you should be willing to risk everything to get it to the world. Because that message, that gospel message, you know what that that word is, that word gospel? In the Greek, it's the word euangelion. You know what that translates to in in, in, uh, English? Good news. The gospel is good news. And similar to that word euangelion is the Greek word euagalisestai. From this we get our English word evangelist. Now you might think evangelist is a title because maybe you've known somebody who came to your church and preached and we called them an evangelist. But do you know what the word evangelist really means? What that Greek word actually translates to? The bringer of good news. In other words, if you've told somebody about Jesus, you are an evangelist. You are a bringer of good news. Do you want to be an evangelist today? Do you want to get the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus into our world, our confused and our conflicted world today? Man, what better time to take good news than when all we're hearing day after day is bad news? The world's ready for it. The world is hungry for it. The harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. We're winding down, hopefully, here in Oregon with our stay-at-home orders under COVID-19. In fact, uh, sometime in the coming days, we'll probably see phase one reopen uh, across Josephine County. 
And that means it's just a few short weeks until our church doors will reopen. Now, we don't have an exact plan just yet. We're working on it, I can tell you that with the elders. And hopefully in the coming days, we're going to start unveiling and figuring out what our plan to reopen our doors will be. And I want to say something to to you people at Redwood that, that call Redwood Christian Church home. First off, I want to say thank you because you've been patient with us through this. You understand that we're facing something as a church we've never faced before. And and I want to thank you for your patience with us as leaders. I'm going to ask and pray for your patience for a little while longer as we figure out, because we want to open our doors at a time when we can approach church safely, when we can follow the protocols like we're supposed to follow, but not to the point where we're so hands-off and we're so, uh, you know, clinical that it doesn't feel like church. I want it to feel like church when we reopen. So if our doors don't swing open the very first Sunday that, that phase two begins, again, please, I'm asking for your patience because we want church to be church. We want to take care of our people as well. And so we're still walking lines that we haven't walked before. But I say all that to say this. We've got a few weeks, maybe a month or two left of all of this. Let me ask you a couple questions. How are you going to continue to be a bringer of the good news and to be the church in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis? When we're not meeting together on Sundays, what are you going to be able to do as stores reopen, as restaurants reopen? Let me tell you some things you probably shouldn't do. You probably shouldn't go out and treat people poorly as they reopen their stores and their businesses because you're impatient because they're trying to figure out how they're supposed to do their jobs as well. You probably shouldn't complain if somebody asks you to wear a mask in their home or their business, because that's their right to do so. You should be grateful that they're open. Maybe we shouldn't criticize one another, because somebody thinks that things should reopen faster and another person thinks that we're going too fast. Maybe we should try to come to mutual understanding. Maybe we should be less critical and more open and accepting of other people's thoughts because they're not quite the same as ours. Those are some simple ways, just on social media, that we can try to become more like Jesus and spread the gospel during this time. Maybe instead we should look, how can we serve others during this time? Maybe those uh, frontline workers, our our emergency personnel, our doctors and our nurses, maybe we serve them. Uh, Maybe uh, as stores reopen and we see that that part-time people are overworked right now and overstressed, maybe we just tell them thank you. Maybe we bring life to the full to them. Maybe we open our doors to a Bible study in our homes during this time. Over the next few weeks, as phase one begins, I encourage you and invite you, like we started off in this process, watch these church services together with a small group. We're going to be able to meet in groups up to 25, which means you can get your small groups back together. Maybe invite your neighbors over. Uh, you know, we used to have like Super Bowl watch parties. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a church watch party. Get some dip and some, some hot wings. Um, don't do that for communion unless you invite me. But, you know, have some people come over. Celebrate together. Uh, get life together again. That's some challenges that we can embrace that are easy to embrace. But the biggest thing I want you to understand is this. Continue. Continue to seek Jesus yourself, and spread that good news of Jesus to everyone that you come in contact with. Read your Bible. Pray. Pray for others in your life. 
Show them who Jesus is. Tell them who Jesus is. We've had, never had a bigger platform to do that than we do right now. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord. We're so thankful that, God, he died on the cross for all of us. And God, that just because somebody doesn't agree with the way I do things or somebody doesn't agree with my views or they don't live in the same neighborhood as me, God, Jesus loves them as much as he loves me. God, even those people who have hurt me and wronged me, Jesus went to the cross for them, died for them. He created them and he loves them just like he did me. So God, let me remember that always. Let me always keep this as a process in my mind. God, that the message is for everyone because you're for everyone. And I should be so excited about that, Lord, that I'm so motivated to just continue to spread it. God, I don't have to be eloquent. I don't have to have the best words to say. God, I just have to be willing. Just to be willing to tell my story about Jesus to others. Because I want the world, I want the world to know about Him. I want the world to know how amazing you are. God, I pray you would give us boldness and courage. God, that you would give us the wisdom to find the right opportunities. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus went to the cross for everyone. He died on the cross for everyone. And we're going to take communion now to remember that. That the blood he shed, the blood that spilled down his back, the blood that spilled down the cross, dripped to the ground that day. It covers my sins the same as it covers your sins. And it reconciles us to God. It brings us back together with God. At whatever you have in your home that you can take, we, we encourage you and invite you at this time. I know for us, when we're uh, celebrating communion at home as a family, we get a chance to talk to my, my kids about it. My kids are seven and five, and, and they're asking questions. They're finally old enough to understand this a little bit. And I'm getting opportunities with them that I don't normally get on a Sunday morning in our church. So I encourage you in the next few moments, with your family, with your group, whoever you're with, take a few moments and share about Jesus together. Share about the Lord's Supper together. As we take communion, though apart, we take communion together in spirit.